The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Today we're going to finish up our series on Advent. And uh, just a reminder, Advent literally just means coming. Um, So Advent is a celebration leading up to Christmas. And the whole purpose of Advent is to focus our hearts and minds on the coming Christ and worship Him for who He is and what He's done. It's the whole reason for the, for the season, right? Um, and what I've been trying to do over the past couple of weeks, the, the goal in all this, the reason we even did this series is because I want to instill within us a deep longing for Christ. That's the goal. And we started off really hammering sin on that first week, and last week we talked about how the law can't save us and the whole point wasn't to save us. And the the whole point of both of those messages was to lead us to today where we focus ourselves on Christ, right? That's what Christmas is all about. That's what this season is all about. And so week one, we talked about sin is the problem. And for Christians, that leads us to groan the coming of Christ when He's going to make everything right again. And then week two, last week, we talked about the fact that the law... When you look into the, to the mirror of the law, it proves that you are incapable of fulfilling the law. You have no ability to actually do what the law says. And that was the point all along, was to prove that you are incapable of walking in righteousness in your own strength. And so the logical conclusion of that is that you need a Savior. Right? You can't save yourself. You need a Savior, and, and, and you're fully dependent on God for salvation. So we've talked about the problem of sin, we've talked about our inability to fix the problem, and both of those should, if if you're a believer, it should stir your affections and and, and aim your, your heart and your mind on the person of Christ because you realize as a believer that He's the only answer, right? He's the only answer to all this. And so today we're going to finish up talking about Him, the only one who can fix problem. And I I love celebrating Advent because Advent is all about Jesus. Yes, sin is the problem. No, you can't do anything about it. But Jesus did do something about it, and that's worth celebrating. That's worth celebrating. And and yet, somehow, we've we've twisted this time leading up to Christmas into, uh, into a celebration of our discontentment. Right? That's kind of what Christmas has turned itself into. It's a celebration of our discontentment. I'm not trying to hate on the jolly fat guy, um, but I think that we really need to step back and have some honest conversations about what we've turned this season into. Right? I think it's time that we as a Christian culture kind of step back, reevaluate what we've turned this thing into, and have some honest conversations about it. Like maybe you and your spouse on the way home, like what is, what is this, what is this turned into for our family? I'm not advocating that we get all legalistic with it, all right? So some of you are like, well, wait a second. We like Christmas. I'm not advocating that, 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 we, that we get legalistic and we kill Christmas. That's, I'm, not, I'm not Ebenezer Scrooge, all right? It's okay. Uh, celebrating Christmas isn't even a biblical mandate. There's nothing in the Bible that says, hey, you, you should celebrate Christmas. Um, so I'm not suggesting that we barricade our fireplaces to keep Santa from coming in. All right, that's, that's not... Uh, that's not the goal here. Uh, in fact, Santa does visit the ward house. Uh, and to be honest, 
just to be completely transparent with you, as uh, a father of young kids, we're, we're still trying to find a good balance in all of this ourselves. Um, but what I am saying is that we declare to the world that Christmas is about Jesus. And I think if we're honest, we spend a lot more time focusing on the other stuff than focusing on Jesus. Rather than looking into the Christmas story each year with awe about what God did, we make it all about the commercialized traditions we've adopted. And if we're honest, what we're trying to do is balance culture with faith, and it kind of looks like faith is losing. And again, I'm not saying we should rip down the tree and take back all the presents. I'm just saying I think it's time we have an honest evaluation of our hearts and where we've allowed this thing to go. I'm suggesting that it's time to refocus ourselves on the birth of Christ and the immense, immense implications that it bears on our lives. And that's exactly what the text today does. It refocuses us on the person of Christ. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because... What has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. All right, so this text is full of a lot of really awesome truths. But uh, this morning, we're going to draw out three truths about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. What he says, uh, before they came together, she was pregnant from what? The Holy Spirit, right? And then it says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, several years ago, I got a ticket in Lumberton. I was just a cruising and not paying attention to how fast I was going. And I think it was a 30 and I might have been going somewhere in the 40s. But uh, I got pulled over, got a ticket. It was very unfortunate. Uh, but I uh, I have uh, an uncle that lives in Lumberton who is like super connected with like cops in Lumberton. So I, I called him and was like, can you do anything about this? And so he got me connected with this, this police officer in Lumberton. And, uh, and the guy, uh, actually, I was working at the church in Lumberton. And this guy, uh, I graduated high school with him. And uh, he worked at the church a lot as security. And so I, I kind of knew this guy. And so I called him and, uh, and was like, is there anything we can do about this? And, uh, and he totally got me out of the ticket. Like, it was gone. Thrown away. Awesome, right? Like, if you have that connection, that's always a good connection, right? And, uh, and so... Got me out of the ticket. I could not do that myself, right? Like, I have no real connections, uh, like, with the person who does, I don't even know how that works, but whoever does the ticket stuff, like the court, I don't have any connections with the judge, don't know the guy. Uh, I could not do that myself. 
And, and to be honest with you, if you called me, I could not do that for you, right? I don't have enough connections or the ability to, to, to help you out with that either. Um, this guy was, because of his position, he was able to absolve me from all guilt, right? I, I could not absolve myself from guilt. I could not absolve anybody else from guilt. Um, it, but this guy, because of his position, he was able to absolve me from all guilt. Um, and so this is kind of what's going on here in, in, this, in this thing. The reality that Jesus is God, that's his position, right? Because of that, he can absolve you from guilt. Uh, Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. Mary gets pregnant, and all Joseph knows is that ain't his baby, right? And he's naturally probably not very happy about it. Uh, and so, of course, he's crushed, right? He, he loves Mary. He's, he's crushed. He's planning on spending his entire life with Mary. Now he finds out she's pregnant and the baby isn't his. And in this culture, Joseph would have been well within his rights to have Mary publicly shamed and really even stoned to death. But Matthew tells us that Joseph is a righteous man. And instead of acting out with vengeance, Joseph decides to divorce Mary secretly. And I think that could be a sermon in and of itself right there. right? Before Joseph can act on his decision, though, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him that the baby has been conceived from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is not the dad, but Mary has not been sleeping with some other guy either. Right? The baby is conceived by God himself. And so what are the implications of this? The implications are that the baby is God himself. The baby is God himself. Luke tells us the same thing in his gospel in Luke one thirty-five. It says, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be born, I'm sorry, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus is God. And that's an important doctrine that you understand as, as a professing Christian. Jesus is God. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a good guy that lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus is God. Look, look how Nathaniel replies to Jesus in John 1, 49. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. This is an important truth. You, you, you cannot be a Christian and not believe and surrender to the fact that Jesus is God. Adam and Eve sinned, and immediately the consequences of sin were evident. Right, Every person conceived to man was born into sin with sin nature, and that just perpetuates itself from generation to generation. Adam and Eve sinned, their children are born into sin, and that perpetuates itself from generation to generation. But Jesus was not born of a man. He was conceived supernaturally by the power of God because He is God. Look what John says in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God, and He didn't become God on that, on that first Christmas when He was born. He, he was always God. He's always been God. He always will be God. John says that Jesus was there in the beginning. He says that Jesus was with God, and He is God, and He's part of of the Trinity, just like God the Father and, the, and God the Holy Spirit, Jesus has always been and will always be. John says all things were created through Jesus. So not only 
as Jesus always been, but he is the agent of creation that spoke the world into existence. He created all things and all things are sustained by him. John says, in Christ was life. Life is found in Jesus. Jesus has said, or Jesus said it too. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And as God, he is the only one capable of saving people from their sin. It's his position of, as God that enables him to save us from our sin, which is the next point. Jesus is the only remedy for sin. Verse 21, it says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, when I was a kid, I mean, I was grade school, uh, we went to the lake, and, and so this is like before cell phones, for those of you who uh, can't fathom a world like that. Uh, this is before cell phones. We were uh, driving home from the lake, and, and, and you guys know there's like this long stretch of just nothing, right? There's no gas station. There's no, uh, there's no restaurant. I mean, there's just nothing, nothing but woods, and, and there's no cell phone. And what happened is we're driving. We're in one of those old school Astro vans. You guys remember those? Uh, those things were legit. They're like tanks. You couldn't mess them up. Uh, except for my mom wrecked it and messed it up. But uh, we're driving home, and, and we have a flat tire. And it's just mom and me and Steven. And Steven's like pretty much a baby, and I'm just a little kid. And, uh, and, and so we have this flat, and none of us are strong enough to take the flat off or to even get the, the other tire down. And so dad's not with us. There's no, I mean, we're just there by ourselves. And it's summertime because, uh, you know, we're at the lake. We're heading back. It's, it's southeast Texas summertime. Uh, we didn't have, like, bottled water in the, in the car with us. It was hot, and, and, and it's starting to look pretty dire. We were there for a long time, just sitting there by ourselves, like, trying to figure out what we're going to do. You're not going to walk to anywhere because it's miles and miles and miles to the next place. And so uh, starting to kind of get a little bit worried, even as a kid. Like, you know, kids usually don't, like, sense that. But I can tell my mom's starting to get worried. I was starting to get a little bit worried. Steven was just a baby, totally uh, unaware of what's going on. But uh, we're, we're kind of starting to freak out a little bit, and we're not, we don't have the strength to do it. And then all of a sudden, it's like starting to kind of get dusk a little bit. And I kept thinking, man, somebody's got to realize that we haven't made it. Like, Dad's got to realize we didn't make a home and start looking for us. Uh, but this uh, older couple pulls up. They see us uh, in, in trouble, and, uh, and they get out. And, and they changed the tire for us. Totally rescued us, right? Because it, things are starting to get dire. I'm not one to want to sleep in a van on the side of the road in the dark, uh, uh, in, in the middle of the woods, you know? Uh, and so they rescued us. They stopped and rescued us. Then the angel tells Joseph to name Jesus, to name the baby Jesus, which literally translates rescuer. That's who Jesus is. He's the rescuer. Because this baby is going to save the world of their sins. It, the implications here are infinite, right? That Jesus comes down to this earth literally to save his people from their sins. Saved from the, the penalty of sin. Just like we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, sin enters the picture and immediately we start seeing the devastating effects. One of Adam and Eve's sons murders the other and they end up losing both of them. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Look at the world around us. There's death everywhere we look. Right? The world that we live in, 
part of this world is that, that death has become part of our reality. And it's not just physical death, right? We obviously mourn physical death, but there is spiritual death that we see on a constant base, basis, right? Marriages die, churches die, friendships die, families die. We see the devastating effects that sin has brought into our world. Sin has brought death and decay, but Christmas brought hope. Jesus became our rescuer. Colossians 1.13, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus, He declares this about Himself as well. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. This was Christ's mission, right? To, to bring salvation to the lost. He came to remedy us of our sin, and He was the only hope. That's where we've been the past two weeks, Right? Building up this suspense of the fact that there is no other hope for us. Sin's the problem. It's brought death and decay. You can't save yourself. You have no righteousness of your own. But there is someone who was able to obtain righteousness, right? And live a righteous life. And his name was Jesus. And he's the only person that can save you from your sins. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Jesus is it. That's it. There's no other means to salvation. Your ideology can't save you. There's, there's, no, there's no president or, or political figure that could ever fix the problem. Money can't save you. You can't, you can't buy your way uh, to fix the problem. Uh, your, any kind of empty spirituality can't save you, right? There's no amount of yoga that's going to fix the problem. No amount of uh, just spiritual meditation that's going to fix the problem. That's not how it works. Sin is the problem. And the only, people, the only person that can fix it is Jesus. People are trying to create a utopia by means of money, politics, and empty spirituality. Right? We see that in our culture. People want that. They want peace. They want hope. They want equality. But they don't want the peace giver. They don't want the hope giver. They don't want the one who declares that all are created in the image of God. The issue is they want a kingdom without the king. Right? You can't have one without the other. You can't have the kingdom without the king. Because of sin, you're broken and empty, and Jesus is the only one who can fix it. He's the only one that can fix you. He's the only hope for mankind. Can't do it ourselves, Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to what? According to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that, having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Paul says that Jesus saved us and it's not by any works of righteousness that we have done. And just like we said last week, your best is but filthy rags before God. Your best is, 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 is meaninglessness. You can't accomplish righteousness on your own. When you look into the mirror of the law, you should only come to one conclusion. You're a sinner and you can't save yourself. You need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior. Paul says it's the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind that saves us. It's according to His mercy. Only His mercy. Because of Jesus, we can be regenerated and made new and it's His grace that justifies us. It's not our ability to do right. There is no right in us apart from Christ. The problem is sin you need a Savior, and Jesus is the way by which a person can be saved. There aren't multiple pathways to God. There's only one way. Jesus said it Himself, John 14, 1. 
Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we, we don't know where you're going. How can, how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is talking about going back to heaven, and Thomas says, how can we know the way? How, how, how can we know how to get to where you're going? How is that even possible? And Jesus tells him, I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the only way. There's no other option. There's no other thing that you can do. I am the way. No one comes to God except through Jesus. He's it. So how do we receive the salvation Jesus offers? Well, he says it's by grace alone through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. So you have to acknowledge your problem. You have to acknowledge that your problem is sin. You have to repent of that sin. And in humility, you have to acknowledge that you can't fix it yourself and put your faith in Christ to save you. And again, in faith, you have to confess Him as Lord of your life. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus came to do it. He came to seek and save the lost. That's why Christmas should be about Him. That's why this season should be about Him. Sin is the horrendous problem that has plagued the world since the fall of Adam and Eve. And you can't do anything about it. Jesus did do something about it. And in Him, you can find redemption. The last point is this. The last truth that we see about Jesus is that Jesus is God with us. Look at verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded. He married her, but he didn't have sexual relations with her until, he gave, until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. You ever uh, known somebody that like, gets really starstruck? Or maybe you are that person. Uh, you, you know, somebody like they just live for meeting some kind of celebrity. Um, there was a, a few weeks ago, uh, Dak Prescott was in Orange, Texas, right? Apparently, he comes to Orange a lot. And uh, I saw it after the fact. But I was thinking, like, Carter is obsessed with the Cowboys. Like, I like the Cowboys, but Carter is like, like, he may need to repent and pray like it's bad. Like he literally like cries when, when, when they lose. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, but if, uh, if I thought, man, if I could like know that he was going to be there and get caught, like he would lose his mind to just be in the presence of Dak Prescott. It would totally blow his mind. And uh, apparently he goes to this taco saying So I'm like, like, and it's always on a bye week. So like, we're just going to eat tacos every single day uh, next year during the bye week. Uh, and so he can have a chance chance to meet Dak Prescott, right? Uh, and it's crazy uh, that someone like Dak Prescott, like you think about, like what is Dak Prescott doing in Orange, Texas, eating at some 
uh, little hole in the wall taco stand, right? Like what, what, what leads someone like that to, to mingle uh, with the people of Southeast Texas? Um, the truth in this passage is unbelievable. The truth in this passage that we're reading is unbelievable. Matthew takes a second to give us some background information. He quotes the prophet Isaiah here. And Matthew is telling his readers that this baby, this Jesus, the angel is telling Joseph about, this is the one promised by the prophets. He is God with us. He is God with us. God himself dwelt among men in the implications of, unbelievable Philippians 2 5 adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited instead what does he do he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity and when he had come as a man he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross Jesus is God all right Let's, let's take a moment to recognize this reality. He's God. He's creator. He's holy. He's righteous. He's all-knowing and all-powerful. He's sovereign Lord. And yet he humbled himself, assumed the form of a servant, and dwelt among men. Right? That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So Carter, for his birthday, got this like helmet that was signed by Dak Prescott. And he's like, Lee loves it. It's, it's awesome. And, and, and Beck and I were talking about like how kind of cool it is that like he obviously touched it to sign it, right? Like he touched this helmet. That's kind of cool. But then in, in a few months, uh, in July, Beck and I are planning a trip to Israel. And we're going to walk where Jesus walked. Like how unbelievable is that? That Jesus, the God of the universe, the God that created all things, walked on this earth and became God with us dwelt among men. This is unbelievable. John 1.14 The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory and the glory as the one and only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. You guys have been watching the series The Chosen. Some of you guys watch that? Some of you? You, yeah, all right. you guys got to go watch it. It's good. Go watch it. It's good stuff. So The Chosen is a, is a really cool series uh, that was done about the life of Christ. Right? They've got season one's already done. Season two is now done. Uh, and in season two, episode one, is uh, this episode uh, that's kind of doing these flashbacks. Jesus already, already died. He's already ascended in the beginning of, of that, that episode. And, uh, and so uh, the apostles have realized, man, we've got to write this stuff down. We, we, need, to, uh, we need to make... Uh, these these uh, gospels right and so they start focusing on their writing their accounts and and so John is sitting there and he's trying to decide how he's going to start uh, his letter the, the book of John and uh, he he flashes back to this moment when Jesus and him are in this temple and it's all creative stuff right we don't see this particular account but uh, Jesus reads from the, the 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 Torah Genesis and he reads this account of creation. And in that moment, John, like, it's obviously, he recognizes Jesus was there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that moment, it's like John recognizes Jesus was there. And so that, then he begins his letter. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. 
right? How unbelievable is that? The God who created all things humbled himself and dwelt among men. Jesus was there and we're told he would be God with us. Check out some of these glimpses we get of how God interacted with his people before Christ. Look at Genesis 3.8. And when you sin, what do they do? It says, and the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord from uh, the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What happens here? Sin enters the picture. Adam and Eve hide from God. The relationship is broken. And then we fast forward to Exodus 20. We see God's people there at Mount Sinai. Verse 18 it says, All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountains surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they said, You speak to us, Moses, and we will listen. Don't let God speak to us because we're going to die. Can you imagine that? Like God literally, His glory ascends down onto this mountain. And all, all this crazy stuff is happening. He's making this covenant with Israel. And they are absolutely terrified. And then fast forward a little bit to Exodus 26. God gives some instructions for how He will interact with His people. We see in verse 31 and 33, uh, this, this veil that's supposed to be in the temple that God's uh, glory is going to reside in a specific spot and, and, and no one better enter into that spot unless, unless it's the, the high priest and he has made sure that he is uh, clean within his heart, right? Uh, it says, you are to make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely spun linen with a design of cherubim worked into it, hang the curtain under the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony there behind the curtain so the curtain will make a separation. Focus in on that word. will make a separation for you between the holy place and the most holy place. And then later in Leviticus 16, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of two of Aaron's son when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat of the ark, or else he will die because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So what's, what's the common theme here? Separation. Right? The common theme here is separation. That God is too holy for people to be in His presence. God is holy, and man is not. And yet Jesus is called God with us. He bridges the gap. Look at Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus is dying, He says, but Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up His spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. In case you didn't understand the significance of that, the writer of Hebrews states it clearly in chapter 10, verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure 
water. Do you get the implications of that this morning, church? Do you recognize what's being said here? Is that no longer is there's this separation, right? It's not that you, you now you can. You can enter into the presence of God anytime you want. That's the point here, is that you, because the blood of Christ, because the body that was broken, the veil has been torn, and there is no separation between you and God. Jesus is God with us, and you can have a relationship with God simply because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the beauty of the gospel. You can enter into the presence of God with boldness through the blood of Jesus. We relate to God in a new and life-giving way. That's what the writer says. Our access to God is the broken body of Jesus. What an unbelievable gospel. We are children. We were children of wrath, alienated from God, but Jesus tore down the dividing curtain and made a way for us to be grafted in as God's sons and daughters. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Through Jesus, our relationship with God has been reconciled. Our identity has shifted from child of wrath to co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8.16 The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. This is what Jesus accomplished. This is what Jesus accomplished. This is what the Gospel offers us. Not just a Savior, but a Father and a King. Now we can have hope. Now we can have joy. Now we can have peace. Now we can have a future. Now we can have a purpose. Now we can have life. All because Jesus humbled Himself and became Emmanuel, God with us. This is what Advent is all about. This is what Christmas is all about. This is why we celebrate. This is, this is why we groan for what's to come. Because our reality has shifted. Sin was the problem. Right? But through the power of Christ, we have victory over sin. You can't save yourself. You can't earn righteousness on your own. But Jesus says, look, let me, let me make a trade with you. I'll take your unrighteousness and I will impute on you my righteousness. So when the Father looks down on you, He sees that you are justified by the blood of the Lamb. That's the beauty of the Gospel. That's what this is all about. Right? This is why we're here. This is why we... Uh, live uh, uh, for the glory of God. This is, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we live our lives. Right? There's nothing without this. Sin has brought death and destruction. The law reveals to us our inability to do anything about it, and yet Jesus did it. As God, Jesus took on the form of man and lived a perfectly righteous life. He did what we couldn't do. Then He bore the punishment for sin. He died a sinner's death, taking on the sins of the world. And then three days later, He defeated death and the grave. And now because of His grace and His grace alone, we can make the unbelievable trade of His righteousness for our unrighteousness. We trust in Him as Savior and Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. How about you? But This is better than saying a Right? This is better than the decorations. It's better than the traditions. It's better than time with family. And it's, it's better than all the presents in the world. This is what it's about. And I go back to where we started. I 
think that we've kind of forgotten that. Not just in the time of Christmas, but really in our lives altogether. Right? We, we, we forget to look into the Gospel with a sense of awe and wonder. We become so calloused and cold to it because we've heard it so much. It just doesn't have the same effect, right? Gospel is supposed to be good news. It should, it should get us excited. Right? It, should, it should build a passion inside of us to, to do what God's called us to do. Right? What, he, the, we've been reconciled and then we've been given the ministry of reconciliation so that you can be ambassadors for Christ. This is what the Christian life is all about. The gospel changes us. When we look into, into the gospel, it brings awe and amazement. And then we turn around and we live our lives for the glory of God by building His kingdom. That's what this is all about. And that's what I want to try to instill in us as we enter into this Christmas season is a reminder that all that stuff that we see at Hobby Lobby, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right? It's fun. And I'm not saying to get rid of it. I'm just saying... Don't let that become the main thing, right? Don't get wrapped up in all the family dinners and all the stuff that Christmas has become. Let's, let's spend this season and this time to groan for the coming of Christ. To worship Him for who He is and what He's done. Right? Jesus is God. He's offered salvation to His people. He has brought reconciliation for us. That even in our rebellion, we can still come into God's presence with a boldness that before Christ, no one ever had. So my challenge is this. Refocus your hearts and mind on this gospel. Celebrate it. Groan within yourself for the completion of your salvation. Right? You still live in the flesh, groan for that day when Christ comes and makes all things new. Be intentional about remembering. Right? We look in the Old Testament, how many times does God tell Israel to remember, remember, build this monument, remember, remember, remember. Right? Over and over again, there's this theme of remembering. And that's what I'm trying to tell us to do this morning is don't get wrapped up in all the junk. Remember what this is all about. Would you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? As we enter into this incredibly busy season of Christmas, I know everybody's got 4,000 Christmas parties they got to attend and got to buy this list of junk for your kids and all this stuff that just, just overwhelms us sometime during this season. And what I'm calling us to this morning is that we kind of recenter ourselves, refocus ourselves on what really matters. And this invitation is an opportunity to, be, to begin that refocus, right? To, to, to pray and ask God to change your heart, to ask God to, to um, stir your, your affections for Him and, and Really just kind of recenter yourself on what this is all about. 
So this is an invitation. This is a time for you to do that. You can right there where you're sitting, you can get on your knees and have a moment with God. You can come and these altars are open. You can you can come and pray. But let's 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 do that. Let's be honest about what we've kind of made this thing into and let's let's have a time of repentance, reflection. And if you've never given your life to Christ, There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. Your problem in your life is, is not circumstances. Your problem in your life is sin. And you can't fix it. There's no amount of work you can do in your life. There's no amount of self-help books out there that can, that can fix it. The only, the only thing that fixes it is, is Christ. So if you've never given your life to Him, never surrendered to him in faith my hope and prayer is that you would do that this morning that the spirit would lead you to that this morning here in a second the band's going to sing a song as they do there's going to be people standing on the sides and if you've never given your life to Christ that's what they're there for to have a conversation with you they would love to talk to you about what it looks like to truly give your heart to Christ to truly receive the salvation that Jesus offers so if that's you in a moment as the band sings, take that opportunity. Go grab them by the hand. They're going to be standing on the sides, in the back, in the front. They'll have lanyards on. Grab them by the hand and say, man, I want to know what it means to, to receive the salvation you're talking about. And if you're a Christian in the room, this is the time for you to refocus yourself. Use this invitation as God leads you. Father God, we thank you for this gospel. My prayer, my hope is that, that we as a church would, we would look into this gospel with amazement. The story is unbelievable that, that we sin, we break the relationship, we bring death and decay into this world. By rebelling against you, by rejecting you, by rejecting your word and your truth, and yet you love us enough to bring reconciliation and not just in changing our eternal destination heaven or hell but, but give us life here and now we change our identity from children of wrath to children of God what an unbelievable story God we amazed. I pray that we would use this season as an opportunity to celebrate that reality, to worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. That we would, we would not get wrapped up in all the commercialization of the season, but we would recognize that it's all about you. during this time of invitation. Should we pray? Amen. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.